In case you haven't heard, today is Mother's Day. And when I was a child growing up, in my world, everyone wore a flower on Mother's Day. If you were a mom, you wore a corsage, uh, assuming that, you know, the family could afford one. And if things were going particularly well for the family financially, you wore an orchid, which was a really big deal. Everyone else wore a rose. You wore a red rose if your mother was still alive. You wore a white rose if your mother had passed on. And today I have two roses. Uh, one of them is for my mother, Margaret Rebecca Meek. Uh, she was an intelligent, talented, beautiful, loving lady. And I was very blessed to be her son. The other is for the mother of my children, Margaret Haley Meek. Uh, she was an intelligent, talented, beautiful, loving lady. Uh, Margaret Rebecca Meek passed at the age of 84 in 2004. Margaret Haley Meek passed at the age of 64. She didn't want anybody to know that, but I don't think she had mind at this point. And as most of you are aware, it was last year. Uh, if you uh, were to wear a rose today, and you have the privilege of wearing a red rose, then let her know how much you appreciate her. Let her know how thankful you are. Call her. Go see her if you can. Uh, maybe even write a note or something with pencil and paper. And you may say, oh, well, there, there's some issues. You know, we all have issues. We have issues underlaying our issues and overlaying our issues and, and behind our issues and, and uh, to the sides of our... We have a complexity of issues, every single one of us. And the only thing that can cut through that Gordian knot is love. It's the greatest of these. And it's the best you can do. And so I encourage you today to do the best you can do. Uh, I'm not able to make a call or go see or maybe write a note that I can pass on. All I can really say is, Happy Mother's Day, Margaret and Margaret. Back at the first of the year, I uh, made out the speaker schedule for the first half of this year. And uh, I was pretty excited about the guy that I had coming up uh, in the second Sunday in May. I wasn't aware of all the stuff that was going to go on, and a lot of stuff has gone on. But I'm still pretty excited because he always brings something rich, always brings something good. Our speaker for today, Elder Mike Preby. Good morning, church. So often you want to say, it's so good to see you. But with our technology, I really can see you. No, I can't. I can't see you at all. Here. But, but I miss you all so much. Miss you guys like crazy. Good to be in the house. And happy Mother's Day from, from me to you as well. And Man, I tell you what, I didn't... I, 
I tried to honor my mom for years as a kid, and, and, but I didn't quite understand how amazing moms were until I kind of saw it firsthand when I saw my wife become a mom and the changes that she went through and the sacrifice is just amazing to me. So mothers are incredible, uh, patient, kind, and loving, and boy, love you. Love you so much, moms. We're going to read some scripture this morning. So if you would stand uh, with us. We're going to be reading from Jeremiah 18. I failed to put the actual sighting down there. So Jeremiah 18, 1 through 6. Here we go. This is the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Go down to the potter's house, and there I will give you my message. So I went down to the potter's house, and I saw him working at the wheel. But the pot he was shaping from the clay was marred in his hands. So the potter formed it into another pot, shaping it to him. Thank you. Then the word of the Lord came to me. He said, can I not do with you, Israel, as this potter does, declares the Lord. Like clay in the hand of the potter, so are you in my hand, Israel. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, Holy Spirit, thank you for your presence here this morning. God, we want to learn. We want to grow. Have your way with us this morning. We thank you for your word and the power that's in it. Pray, God, that you teach us to be more pliable, more soft in the hands of you, our master potter. Thank you, God, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. I'm so thankful that God chose to put parables in Scripture, these word pictures, uh, to kind of make things a little more clear, to make them more understandable, to give them some more depth. Uh, this particular one is, is one of my favorites, but there, uh, frankly, there are some parables that, that I still don't totally get. I kind of still scratch my head and go, okay, I still need some work on this one. But this one, the, the potter and the clay in that relationship Seems to make a little bit more sense to me, and maybe after uh, I'm done talking today, you'll go, no, it still doesn't make sense to you, Mike. But may- maybe, it- maybe it will. Um, so what's going on with this story of Jeremiah 18 uh, and the potter and the clay? We've been learning a lot about Jeremiah in the last few weeks during this series. Um, what's going on? Jeremiah, as we've learned, has been uh, called a prophet to the nations and... Uh, Israel has been just up and down, up and down with their relationship to God. They're they're obedient and loving him, and then they fall away and are disobedient. Then they love him and they fall away, love and fall. And Jeremiah has this this calling from God to to bring messages to Israel. And they're powerful messages. They're messages, as Jeremiah says, to to, uh, the front of Jeremiah, to plant, to build up. But they're also ones that that are pretty rough to get your attention. Um, so Jeremiah is told to go down to the potter's house, goes down to where the potter is, and he's making uh, some pottery, and it says in Jeremiah here, 18, he's at the wheel making pottery, and he comes across some, some clay that he's working on, and it's marred. That's a word that just means it's, it's tough, it's uh, not malleable, it's not able to be worked, and he decides to make something else out of it 
that's usable, that he seems uh, that's best fit. So I thought what we'd do today is talk a little bit about the potter and the clay and the relationship, because we don't use pottery a whole lot today that's handcrafted like, like in Jeremiah's time. They were very familiar with it. It changed, it revolutionized the society, pottery did. Uh, but the pottery that we typically use is you know, mass-produced, it's not handcrafted. So, so people that are watching today that don't totally get this uh, picture story of pottery, I'm going to explain a little bit to you. So we have the potter. We have him sitting at a wheel. That's like a big stone that spins, a circular stone that, that spins. He's usually by his foot, or he'll spin it by hand, or there's other mechanisms. And the clay that's right in the center of that wheel, it has to be in the center. Otherwise, you, if it starts coming off a center, you'd get a misshapen bowl. But the potter is there. He'll jam his elbow into his side and force, push against that clay to keep it, keep it centered so he can form it. So there's the wheel, there's the clay, and some of it can be marred like we read in Jeremiah 18, and the potter will cut that out with his knife, rip it out, and continue to form it. Sometimes he can fix that marred clay if you add stuff to it, soften it up. Uh, there's, he uses a knife to cut away the excess that just doesn't belong in this piece of pottery that he has in mind. Uh, he uses water, uses his hands to put water all over the uh, piece of pottery, the clay, to smooth it out, to soften it. Uh, he uses a kiln. He'll throw it in what's a, called a kiln or a, uh, like a big oven. And sometimes they'll also, back in those days, they would put it into a, a cave and just air dry it for a long period of time. But, or they'd use a kiln to, to harden the clay. So what I've so cool about this story is that we go back a couple weeks to Pastor Barbie, and she was talking about Jeremiah from Jeremiah 1, where he was called by God. And he says, wait, wait, you got, you got the wrong guy. I, I don't speak good. I don't, I don't talk well. I'm not experienced. Don't use me. And as Pastor Barbie said, he, Moses already tried that. He already tried that. It's not going to work. God and his beauty, his love, he goes, wait a minute. Wait a minute, Jeremiah. I'm going with you. I'll give you the words to speak. And he says the same thing to us. He's always with us. We can be strong and courageous, not in our own strength, but because he's with us wherever we go, as it says in Joshua. So he, Jeremiah here is being taught early on to be pliable in the hands of God. God Jeremiah didn't want this calling it didn't sound like. He didn't think he was ready for it, but he learned early on that he had to be pliable and yielded to God. And so he has this message to bring to the people of Israel to be yielded to God, to be moldable. He's like, I'm going through this too, guys. Trust in the Lord. Let him mold you and make you. Be soft in his hands. So when we study scripture, we look at scripture like this and we go, okay, well, this was written to a specific group of people. Does this apply to us? Because there's sometimes there's promises that go, well, that's a promise to them. Maybe that doesn't apply to us. But the, the beauty about this idea, this picture of a potter and a clay is, is woven through Scripture in the Old Testament and the New. And this idea of God being the potter and us being the clay does apply to us as well. As a matter of fact, if we go on back, go on back uh, a, a book in Scripture to Isaiah 64, 8, 
says, yet you, Lord, are our father. We are the clay. You are the potter. We are all the work of your hand. And don't miss that the beginning of that says you are our father. You are the potter. He's a father that cares. He's a father that loves. He's a potter that has our best interest in mind. So I thought what I'd do is talk about these moving pieces of the potter's house. If we take ourselves back to the potter's house and look at some of these things and see how they apply to our lives. I think there's some great application uh, to some of these moving parts that we see in the potter's house. So let's go back to the wheel, that round thing that spins in place and keeps the clay in the center. I think to me, it's a perfect picture of the world we live in. The earth itself, yes, spins, but the world we live in, there is stuff spinning around us all the time. And it just seems to go, as I get older, it seems like it's spinning faster and faster with the amount of fear, hype, stuff, distractionary stuff. There's stuff spinning around us all the time. And as God, as our master potter, he says, I want you to stay center. I want you to stay, stay focused on me. There's this thing called centrifugal force. I don't know if you've ever uh, studied that, but we had this ride at the Los Angeles County Fairground in Pomona that I used to go on. And it was this big, like a hamster wheel thing, but it was huge. And you'd go stand in it. I don't know if they still have this. You stand in it. There's no straps or anything. There weren't then. There weren't any straps. There were these handles you held on to. But then you're standing there against this metal cage and it would start spinning real fast. And then you'd feel yourself kind of getting sucked up against the wall. And if that wasn't fun enough, it went up on its end like this. So it had all these cute little human beings going around in this circle, stuck to the wall. That's crazy. I wouldn't, you couldn't pay me enough to do that now. But that's centrifugal force. It pulls us away from center. And God is going, I know there's stuff in this world that's going to pull you away from center. But in his grace, he doesn't say, stay centered by yourself. He says, I'm here to help you become who I've called you to be so you can do the things I've called you to do. And I'm here, if you will allow me to, I'm here to help keep you centered. It's a beautiful, beautiful God that we serve. Carrying on with the clay, there's a verse here uh, in Psalm 37.4. Say, what does this have to do with potter and the clay? Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. I was talking to my friend Rodney Boyd this morning, uh, this week, and he, uh, he talked to me about this verse, and he said that delight yourself in the Lord is really that same picture of the, of the clay in the potter's hands. It's a yield yourself to the Lord, soften yourself to God's pressures, to God's sovereignty. Let him do what he wants to with your life, and he will give you the desires of your heart. He will form those desires into your heart. I want to talk a little bit as we camp out here on clay a little bit, this marred clay stuff, um, this tough stuff that kind of gets in the way of what the potter is trying to do. And I thought, why don't we talk about somebody in Scripture today that had some marred clay in his life, and how did he respond? How did he respond to it? So we're going to talk this morning about King David and one of the most famous, unfortunately famous sins in Scripture, him with him and Bathsheba. Um, kids, if you're listening, there's a great VeggieTales series, a show called King George and the Rubber Ducky. 
It's a good one. And, and I, I watched VeggieTales a lot before the kids came, and I was so happy that we had kids, so I had more excuses to watch VeggieTales. But King George and the Rubber Ducky is about King David and Bathsheba. See, King George, played by Larry the Cucumber, already had a whole bunch of rubber duckies. But he saw this other rubber ducky down on the, the rooftop below, and he said, I, I have to have that rubber ducky. Uh, unfortunately, that rubber ducky belonged to a cute little asparagus named Thomas, and it was his only rubber ducky that Thomas had. But King George took, him, took that rubber ducky away anyway and sent little asparagus Thomas into the Great Pie War, and he was obliterated. This is a story of King David and Bathsheba. King David had wives of his own. We won't go into that part of the story today. But he saw an, another lady, Bathsheba, down there, and he just had to have her. And he wooed her over, and she became pregnant. And then David goes, well, the next best thing to do would be to kill her husband, Uriah the Hittite. Oh, decisions. Talk about marred clay in, 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 in the, the clay of David, a man after God's own heart. But what I want to focus on today is how does somebody living as a God follower, stuff happens, we make terrible decisions. How do we respond? How do we respond to our master potter when we go, I have, I have this junk in my life. I've really messed up. So we're going to read from scripture. If you have your Bibles with you today, this is a lot of scripture, so I didn't put it up on the screen. We're going to read from uh, 2 Samuel, or if you have your phones with you, 2 Samuel 12, verses 1 through 7. Give you a minute to find that. 2 Samuel 12, if you're on your phones, you can click over to New King James Version, because that's what I'm going to be reading from this morning. This is where Nathan, another prophet, approaches David after this has all gone down. Most scholars think it was several months after it all went down. So David had a lot of time to stew on what he had done. So follow along with me here. 2 Samuel 12, verse 1. Then the Lord sent Nathan to David, and he came to him and said to him, there were two men in one city, one rich and the other poor. He starts to tell David a story. The rich man had exceedingly many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb, which he had bought and nourished. And it grew up together with him and with his children. It ate of his own food and drank from his own cup and lay in his bosom, and it was like a daughter to him. And a traveler came to the rich man, who refused to take from his own flock and from his own herd. The rich man refused to take flock from his, from his own. He had many to prepare for the wayfaring man who had come to him. But he took the poor man's lamb, the poor man's only lamb, and prepared it for the man who had come to him. So David's anger was greatly aroused against the man. And he said to Nathan, as the Lord lives, the man who has done this shall surely die. And he shall restore fourfold for the lamb because he did this thing and because he had no pity. David was upset, like, how could this happen? Who is this guy? Verse 7, then Nathan said to David, to David, you are the man. And he didn't say it like, you're the man. 
No, it was, you are that man. You are the rich man that stole from the poor man. Thus says the Lord, continuing verse 7, God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel, and I delivered you from the hand of Saul. We'll skip down to verse 10. Now therefore, the sword shall never depart from your house, because you have despised me, and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus says the Lord, behold, I will raise up adversity against you from your own house. Cause and effect of sin. There is cause and effect of sin. And if you read on about the, the sword that didn't leave the, the family of David and the fighting uh, with his children, his kids, there was death, there was terrible stuff. Go on to verse 13. So David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, the Lord also has put away your sin. You shall not die. Skip on over to a different chapter, uh, Psalm 51, if you will. Psalm 51, one of my favorite chapters in Scripture. This is the response now, David's response to Nathan after he'd been approached and called out for this sin. This picture, as we read this, we're not going to read the whole thing. We'll skip around a little bit. But picture as you read this, the potter and the clay. Clay being moldable, pliable, soft in the hand of the potter. Picture that as we read this. Verse 1. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions. Pastor Ronnie spoke of this last week about leaders. A good leader will take responsibility for their mess-ups. King David does this. He says, I acknowledge my transgressions. I would say even to tack on to that, as followers of Christ, we should acknowledge our transgressions. We're called to. Let's go on down to verse 10. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. The potter and the clay. Take out the marred clay. Again, back to his grace. We need him to remove stuff from us. Create in me a clean heart. When a potter is working with pottery, he's not just working on the outside, he's working on the inside too with his hands all over that thing. And David realizes that. David has an incredible understanding of the sovereignty of God. He says, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast or an endurance spirit within me. Look at verse 11. Do not cast me away from your presence, potter in the clay. The potter had every right every right to, find, to have a piece of clay that was marred and he could just go, you know what? I'm going to scrap this piece of clay. There's some defects in it and I'm going to toss it over here and I'm going to grab another piece of clay. David understood that. And he said, do not cast me away from your presence. Don't take me off the wheel. Don't take your hands from me. Look at the rest of verse 11. And do not take your Holy Spirit from me. He says, don't please God. Don't remove your hands from me. I need you. Don't remove your presence from me. Don't cast me away. I need you, God. And I, I want to be soft. I've messed up. I want to be pliable. I want to be used how, how you've called me to be used. Skip on down to verse 17. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. These, O oh God, you will not despise, or these, O oh God, you will not cast away. Contrite, we don't use that word a whole lot anymore, but 
Pastor Wayne, if you've been under any of his teachings, he'll talk about this. A contrite heart is a pulverized, crushed, crushed heart, soft clay, moldable clay. And David is saying that, God, please use me. I don't want to be cast away. And this is a, such a great picture for us on how we respond to God when, to, to, when stuff just goes bad, when we make terrible decisions. God, use me. Don't take your, don't take your presence from me. So we have the, the wheel, we have the clay, we have the knife that he uses to cut things away that just don't fit in with the, the finished product that is you. Uh, the word of God, Hebrews 12, talks about the word of God being sharper than a, a double-edged sword, cutting and dividing. It, the, the knife is one of the potter's most effective and invasive tools that he uses, but it's so important to cut away stuff that doesn't belong that distracts, that takes away from the beauty of the finished product. And he uses water to soften the clay. To me, it's a picture of the Holy Spirit. Me, it's a picture of the love of Jesus Christ. He goes, you, you want to be soft? Accept, ask for more of the Holy Spirit. Let me pour on more of the Holy Spirit in your life. Let me soften your heart. Let me convict you of some things. Let me permeate you. Let me permeate your clay with softness so you can be used. I have a special piece of pottery here this morning. This one here uh, is very special to me because it was made by my dad. Gene Preby, it's got his name on the back even. This is a special piece of pottery. Now, this one wouldn't have been turned on a wheel, but, oh, I have a picture of this for, you can see it closer too. But you can see on the bottom of this thing, there's some rough edges. It's, uh, oh, like serrate, ser it's serrated on the bottom, I guess you'd say. It's, this is designed for a very special purpose. For my foodie friends out here, if you take a clove of garlic and you scrape it on the bottom of this, just scrape away, scrape, 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 and then you take some olive oil and you drizzle it in there, and then you take some balsamic vinegar and you drizzle it in there and you take some good fresh warm bread and you dip in there and eat it oh, it's heavenly it's heavenly because that's what this was created for it was created for that unique purpose and my dad who's watching today gets great joy from knowing that this piece of pottery that he made is being used for the specific purpose that it was made for and it gives us joy You've been created for specific purposes by God, just like Jeremiah. Just like Jeremiah, before you were in the womb, before you were in your mom's womb, he had a plan for you. He had, he had this idea of how he was going to form you. Can we be yielded to him? Can we be softened to him? Can we allow him and trust him that he's forming us into something beautiful? We're all called to glorify God. We're all called to give him praise. And how we do that... We're, can look a little bit different depending on how we're created. But we're all called. Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared when? Beforehand, that we should walk in them. We're all his workmanship.
I have tried for a long time, I'm learning now, but I've tried to do whatever I could. I tried to tackle everything and do everything well, like everything, like things I shouldn't be called to do. And that'll wear a person out. That will wear you out. We're a body of Christ. We're not all called to be a hand. We're not all called to be a foot or a mouth. We're called with unique purposes, unique giftings and abilities. We're not called individually to do all things well. We're called to point to the one that does all things well. We're called to glorify the one that does all things well, the potter that perfectly forms us in his hands. I'm not a, a very patient guy. God is so patient. I'm not, I wouldn't make a good potter because a lot of times when you put these pieces of clay in a kiln, some of them will blow up and then it'll affect other ones. And I'd be like, I'm done with this craft. This, no, this is not. Uh, Nacelle is very patient. She does uh, crocheting. And she'll crochet and crochet and she'll be watching TV or something and then she'll just go, uh-oh. And for those that crochet will understand she saw a little glitch. <laughs> That's right, and then what does she do? Yep, pulls it out. All the way back to that little glitch, all the way back to that little piece of marred clay and starts over again. I want to be more patient like that. God is so patient with us, with our marred clay, if we just allow him to be. He's into repurposing. He's into reusing. He's into recycling. He says, I'll take your brokenness. Bring it. I'm here. I'll, I'll help. I'll put it back together. Yield to me. So whether you're a, you've been created to be a garlic scraping dish, in God's kingdom, a bowl, a mug, a vase. Do it all to the glory of God. Do it with Christ centering you. Allow him to keep you centered. Remember, whatever he's called you to do, just like with Jeremiah, just like with Jeremiah, he, t- he says to you, You're not, I'm not calling you to do this alone. I'm with you. Wherever you go, I'll give you the words to speak. And he will use you for his purposes if we trust him, if we allow him to. Oswald Chambers, to close up here, says something in this regard about how we're created and how God is using us and where God places us. We have no right to decide where we should be placed or to have preconceived ideas as to what God's preparing us to do. God engineers everything. You hear that? God engineers everything, and wherever he places us, our one supreme goal should be to pour out our lives in wholehearted devotion to him in that particular work, in that particular work that he's called you to. Worship team can come on out as we wrap up here. This world keeps spinning The world's going to keep spinning around us. Can we daily yield to him? Can we trust him with our lives? Even when we think he's not forming us into what we want him to form us into. To be used in the purposes that he has created for us before time began. Can we yield to him and go, yes, God, I trust you. I surrender all. I need you and your grace to form me and to soften me.
Can we allow him to continue to form us into the beautiful piece of pottery that he had in mind for us? And the beautiful thing here is that he's never done, never done forming. He doesn't say, okay, this is done. I'm going to put it on a shelf. He doesn't, he's going to continue to work with you until your last dying day. He's going to continue to form you and make you as you yield to him and yield to his sovereignty, his power, his nudge. I encourage you to ask him today, take some time this afternoon and say, God, if there's marred clay in your life that's getting in the way of who he's designed you to be, call out to him, cry out to him just like David did. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Allow me to be soft in your hands, God, with your grace and your grace alone.